Welcome to Science or Fiction, a podcast by sci-fi author Michael James Sharon. In this program, we'll be discussing science, fiction, and the often blurred spaces between the two. Here we try to dispel common scientific misconceptions by both Hollywood and the media, even that which is meant to be educational. My background includes a Bachelor of Science and Master of Arts in Physics with experience in both R&D and production. I hope you enjoy these podcasts, and if there are comments or input, please direct them via contact page for my website, michaelsbookcorner.com. We often hear the term science denier. It is a new epithet used in the ancient style of discrediting anyone looking for answers to legitimate questions. Whenever a thinking person brings up glaring contradictions to current dogma, they are shut down to all but a few. The denier epithet is only an ad hominem response, a logical fallacy. When one cannot provide facts or evidence for one's argument, ad hominem or name-calling often results. The next step in this process may be the heckler's veto, shouting down your opponent until he or she gives up. As a last resort, those with weak or no support for their position will resort to force. Many won't wait that long. The term denier is currently in vogue and will doubtlessly morph into something else once it is worn out. We have science deniers, climate deniers, anti-vaxxers, and countless negative handles for anyone thinking outside the box. We must note throughout history the danger presented when the most powerful institutions begin singing from the same hymn book. Another common attack is to accuse one's opponent of intolerance by openly calling him or her a conspiracy theorist, fascist, racist, or an ex-phobe. Use whatever you like for the ex, be it homo, trans, xeno, etc. Note the term communist is no longer considered an insult as it should be. Though I have my own problems with Winston Churchill, he once said something to this effect. The next form of fascism will come in the form of liberalism. Even in Churchill's day, the term liberal, in a political sense, had already been altered. A liberal in the 18th century Enlightenment era was one who sought and believed in freedom for the individual, which includes freedom of thought. By the mid to late 19th century, it had transformed into socialism and other forms of mass control. That is what took place in the political arena, at least. For science and medicine, starting in the late 17th century, it has been a golden age of progress up to the latter half of the 20th century. Advances in engineering have slowed somewhat, but are still hampered by political pressure. As mentioned before, those wishing to stifle their opponents have no problem jumping right to the use of force when logic fails. Book burning did not begin with Nazi Germany. It had been around long before. The conquistadors burned Aztec and Maya writings. Muslims and Christians burned books or tried to wipe out the past. Americans, Canadians, and Australians attempted to wipe out native culture and language just as the English did in Ireland. Communists are no different than fascists in their desire to control not only all wealth, but all thought in their dominion. 
Russians starved 11 million people in the Ukraine and like the Nazis confiscated all artworks they felt were counter-revolutionary or degenerate. Although we haven't had a book burning in a while, we have the modern equivalent. Not only do we have the time-honored shaming of ad hominem attacks, but it is amplified or dampened through the media, including social media. Now we have either censorship or attempts to discredit someone with so-called fact-checkers. This is prevalent, especially in so many social media platforms, excluding Twitter, hopefully. Elon Musk has released documentation from Twitter proving just how deep this rabbit hole goes. Government agents across the board, including the FBI, regularly hand over hit lists to social media platforms and then pay them for doing it. The broadcast media has long been in the pocket of government and powerful corporations. All the while, politicians and their paid pundits are telling us to trust the science. What they really mean is trust their science. For some reason, it is always those who claim to be acting on our behalf who do us the most harm. Why should we be surprised? The more we believe in them, the more damage they can do. We've been conditioned to trust them since we were toddlers by our parents and grandparents who've also been indoctrinated. By controlling the media, our concept of history is also greatly distorted. No one has described this process better than H.G. Wells in 1984. Anyone straying into the past or digging up unassailable facts are continuously gaslighted or worse, locked up for psychiatric evaluation by a compliant judge. There are so many egregious cases of abuse they should be well known, yet most are not. Our scroll culture dismisses all knowledge of events more than a year in the past that have not been scrubbed by the media. If such events happened several decades ago, such as the Tuskegee experiment, the blame is put on a few individuals and not the institutions. In 1932, there was no known treatment for syphilis, a contagious venereal disease. 600 African-American men were recruited with a promise of free medical care. The men were enrolled from Macon County, Alabama, to study the full progression of the disease. The study was carried out by the U.S. Public Health Service until 1972, enlisting the aid of the prestigious Tuskegee Institute. Of the patients, or rather test subjects, 399 were already infected and 201 were there as control. All were poor sharecroppers who likely had never seen a doctor before. The study was only originally designed to last six to nine months. After no useful data was produced initially, it was decided to follow the subjects until their deaths, with all treatment halted. Even penicillin was denied to them when it became available in the mid-1940s and withheld even after 25 years. In the government's zeal to gather nuclear bomb data, People were uprooted from Pacific Islands they had occupied for thousands of years. The residents of Bikini Atoll were forcibly removed from their home and set on another island with next to no resources to be wards of the government forever. Later, they were relocated back to Bikini, though there was no indication it was safe. Accidents occurred during the development of the atomic bomb and two scientists at Los Alamos died from radiation poisoning. 
Vast amounts of data were available in the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, demonstrating the danger of radioactive fallout. The islanders lived on Bikini for 10 years before their government overlords deemed their home to be too hot once again. All this time, they were studied like lab rats by the same caretakers. The benevolent government also injected radioactive substances directly into the bloodstreams of both cooperative and uncooperative patients. A 53-year-old African-American Abcade, a cement mixer at a construction company, was hospitalized for broken injuries after a car accident. At Oak Ridge Nuclear Facility, he told doctors that he'd always been in good health, so they secretly injected him with 4.7 micrograms of plutonium. Scientists knew perfectly well the serious negative effects associated with radiation. After conducting many experiments on animals with severe adverse effects, they knew exactly what they were doing, intent only on documenting the effects of plutonium isotopes on living beings. Over the next five days, excretions were taken from Cade to log how much plutonium his body had retained. He was strapped down, and they refused to set his broken bones until April 15th. They cut samples from his bones before setting them to look for more plutonium. Fifteen of his teeth were pulled for testing without informing Cade of what was going on. A nurse said that the tortured Cade escaped in the middle of the night. He died in 1953 of heart failure. Cade was not the only subject of inhumane radiation experiments done without informed consent. At the University of Rochester, at least 11 patients became the subject of radiation experiments. Six or more were injected with uranium, and five or more were given polonium. Some might remember how a dissident was murdered with the tiniest amount of polonium by a Russian agent some years ago in London. Documents uncovered by the Advisory Committee on Human Research Experiments show at least nine additional patients similarly injected with radioactive material at other universities. Doctors involved in these studies defended their actions long after the fact. It wasn't until the Clinton administration that any acknowledgement was made, though there could be no excuse or just compensation. After the discovery of horrific medical experiments done by both Japan and Nazi Germany on human beings, we supposedly adopted the Nuremberg Codes to prevent such a thing from ever happening again. The ink was not even dry as the U.S. and other governments continued on their merry way. Doctors and medical researchers are expected to have a minimal core of ethics. As it turns out, paychecks have always been a greater motivation for action. Government grants continue to fund this horrific torture of human beings, and doctors continue to administer them. Even if such studies could possibly yield data that might help others, it seems most of the time they are quite ill-conceived. The U.S. government did not prosecute the majority of those in Japan's infamous 731 unit in return for the data they had massed. The test subjects there were prisoners of war and civilians, both in poor health, sick of tropical diseases, or malnourished. Similarly, the Nazis experimented on concentration camp inmates, also in poor health, 
How could their data apply to soldiers or airmen in peak condition? I'll cite a much more recent case of so-called science from the Office of the Inspector General. The EPA conducted five research studies in 2010 and 2011 involving 81 human subjects during which the OIG determined that, quote, exposure risks were not always consistently represented, unquote, and the agency, quote, did not include information on long-term cancer risks in its diesel exhaust studies, consent forms, unquote. The EPA exposed subjects from children to senior citizens to exhaust fumes to test their effects. They already knew the toxicity of these fumes. Despite EPA regulations establishing a presumption against human experiments, quote, involving risk of substantial injury to a human subject or, quote, irreversible health effects, unquote, the OIG reports that the agency tested extremely high levels of pollutants. According to the report, quote, diesel exhaust is a complex mixture of more than 40 toxic air contaminants. These include 19 known or suspected carcinogens, such as benzene, formaldehyde, and 1,3-betadiene. Quote, a 2006 EPA assessment document further reports associations between short-term particulate matter exposures and mortality and morbidity. And quote, the EPA classifies diesel exhaust as likely to be carcinogenic to humans by inhalation. From Paul Brown, the House Oversight Subcommittee Chairman of 2014, quote, it is abhorrent for EPA to be conducting these human experiments without providing robust information and notification to the patients about the risks of death and following the strictest protocols. While the EPA champions protecting human health, in one case, EPA doubled the amount of particulate matter it was exposing individuals to without fully informing their participants or all the proper ethical review boards. This blatant disregard for the safety and well-being of others is despicable, and the proper steps must be taken to ensure that such carelessness does not occur again. We're told to trust the science. Actually, we're told to trust the scientists and the government workers who push ill-conceived, openly malevolent practices and procedures. In our vast story of recorded history, we should know better. Questioning such people and not accepting a flippant or nonsensical response as gospel is not the denial of science. On the contrary, questioning each conjecture is science as it is continually tested. All of the data, contrary to their narratives, cannot be dismissed without discussion, as that also is part of the scientific method. When predictions based on some hypothesis are not fulfilled, then that hypothesis must be adjusted or thrown out. Observation must agree with theory, or it is not science. Theories must give reproducible results, or that such ideas are not valid. Moving the goalpost is not allowed. And when the same people are wrong repeatedly, sometimes for decades, then it is right not to take their claims seriously. Their reasoning is flawed, and no attempt at altering history can change that.
I hope you've enjoyed this program, written and presented by author Michael James Sharon, in conjunction with my many science fiction novels. Please visit the website, michaelsbookcorner.com, to see what is on offer. A complimentary ebook is available for joining the mailing list. This podcast is available on most outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Anchor FM, Amazon, and also on YouTube under the playlist Science or Fiction. Look for the host on Instagram, medium.com, or Twitter under at classic underscore sci underscore phi. Thank you.